Hi, I'm Jerry Steele, and you're listening to the Miss McBookworm podcast. This podcast brings you stories from Christian women who write fiction. Our goal is to tell God's bigger story through our smaller ones. In this bonus episode, I'm excited to introduce you to Julie Bond Blank. Julie is an author, a domestic violence advocate, and an abuse recovery leader. So a quick content warning. In this episode, we do discuss trafficking, domestic abuse, trauma, and similar sensitive subjects. Our discussion is not graphic, but a heads up that there is talk about these subjects and some specific situations. In fact, when Julie first reached out to me and I checked out her book, I was very honest with her that I didn't think I'd be able to read it. We talk about this in the interview, but since having children, I've become a pretty sensitive reader and viewer. So we discussed a bit about how to navigate that and how to still educate ourselves around these important topics. Julie's faith and dedication to her work is inspiring, and I love how she talks about fully worshiping God by fully using the gifts He's given her. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Miss McBookworm podcast, and here's my interview with Julie Bondblank. Well, I am sitting here with Julie Bondblank. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started writing. Thank you for asking me. That's a complicated question because it's always been it's always been a part of me. So I wrote since I was very very young, and I even uh, wrote a book at the age I believe it was eight that I still have um, that I had written. And of course, I was not a knowledgeable author at that point in time or a writer, and so I kind of based the story off another one that I had liked and admired, which was a fiction in a Christian market about a young girl. Um, you know, one time I had a friend who read it and said, you know, this sounds like another book that I read. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> but, you know, that's not a bad thing, because when you're a kid and you're trying to get started, you're emulating what you read. Right. Um, and it's not like I was trying to go out and get it published or anything. It was just I was writing, you know, what I read. So um, and then in junior high, I took an English class that was mostly writing based. And my teacher literally scrawled on the top of my paper. You are you know, writing advanced for your age and please keep writing. You need to do this and this stuff needs to be out there. And so I took that as encouragement. And then at a very young age, I took that little quiz quiz that the, um, oh, I forget what it's called, the Society of Christian Illustrators and Writers or something like that. I took their quiz online and sent in an essay and they said, you're very advanced for your age and we would encourage you to keep writing. And of course, here's this course and blah, 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 blah. So given all that, I feel like it's a gift that God gave me that I was supposed to do. Um, and there was some times in my life where I couldn't write or uh, where I had some trauma and I was not able to write or I was just really focused on writing for business, like for the people I worked for and press releases and blog posts and things, but not my own, you know, personal writing. And uh, when I came back to it, you know, I did traditionally publish some books and I self-published some books and this was years, years ago went through my tra trauma and then really felt um, God calling me back. So, you know, he basically said, writing is a gift that I gave you. And he also gave me a very clear message that I was not fully worshiping him unless I used those gifts that he gave me. And so I was able to, along with my healing process, go back to writing as he asked me to do. Um, and as a result, that's why I'm writing on the very hard topics that, you know, that I write on because it's to build awareness you know, of the, of the topic. So that's how it all started. And 
I'm thinking it's never going to end. I'm going to be 100 and still writing. <laughs> but as long as people like their writing and it gets the message across and God is pleased, then, you know, that's a good thing. So it's a part of those of us who feel called. It's a part of us deep inside, right, in the depth of us. And it's important that we follow through and work through it and, and learn our craft and do it well. Yeah, I love all of that. And I, I like the way you frame it, too, that we're really not, you know, if he calls calls us to do something that and we're holding back part of that, that, that's like holding back a form of worship, because if he's given us this, then to live into that and just embrace, you know, what he has called us to do. That's lovely. Um, well, you touched on this, but you do focus quite a lot in your, it sounds like in your professional work, as well as in your writing on domestic abuse and recovery. Um, so talk a little bit about how you think um, writing and especially fiction writing can help bring awareness to those areas. Yes, my my trauma, as you might have guessed, was um, abusive relationships. And it um, <clears throat> was my first marriage, but it was also several, mar- several um, not marriages, sorry, several relationships before that marriage. As I look back and I've learned so much, I can tell um, that those, you know, things happened. And as I was healing, you know, I decided, man, you know, I, I realized I, I work through for ARMS now, which stands for Abuse Recovery Ministry and Services. And we're at abuserecovery.org. And about 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, I walked into their groups because I'd heard it advertised through my um, church. And I said, OK, I'm going to go to this group and I'm going to teach this group and I'm going to you know, tell these women that abuse is not part of God's plan for them and that there is a better life you know, out there. And, and God really spoke during those sessions to me, myself. I mean, I literally would leave with tears rolling down my face after each lesson. And I had a very patient leader, I thank God for to this day who saw, you know, that I wasn't ready for that quite yet, but I had healing, you know, to do in my own life. Um, and so I worked through that and then eventually, you know, I came on staff with arms. So I'm, you know, I oversee all of our healing recovery, free her journey groups, for people who not are only away from abuse, but also still are in abuse, you know, and or are wanting to learn more, you know, about abuse. So when I turned back to my writing, it was really a natural inclination to kind of go towards that market because people didn't get it. And I will admit, I was one of those people that I thought human trafficking was only in third world countries. I really did. And I think we had kind of a movement at the time, I think, where third world, you know, happens in Cambodia, it happens in India, it happens in Mexico, it happens in here, but the United States, you know, human trafficking doesn't happen here. Um, and as I studied for my books and this, this in particular, this one story that was really on my heart, which I ended up writing in Innocent Lives, I realized it was not the case. I realized that You know, as I went out there and I talked to like strippers that are in the clubs that, you know, 98 percent of them admit to coercion. They don't really want to be there. They have a partner at home. They have a husband. They have somebody in their life saying, "Okay, honey, you know, we got to pay the bills and you've got the body and you need to do this. And they're coerced into it. And then I talked to prostitutes and I became involved with some of those organizations that are actually on the street, you know, helping out prostitutes and becoming their friends. And, um, you know, nobody is born and says, I want to be a prostitute. And sometimes it's hard because I also work um, in intervention groups for men that have been abusive. And I hear from them, you know, what about the women that they're fine with it and they make good money and, 
you know, they go to the strip clubs or they, they're in porn or whatever, but it's their choice. And I look at them and I say, it is, it is not that way. I said, there is some sort of trauma that they have had in their life that makes them feel that they aren't worth any greater than that. That it, that, you know, that that's where they belong and that's where they're supposed to be, or that's all they can do, or they're not smart enough to be a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer or whatever they dreamed about when they, you know, were little. And so there's huge coercion as well and trafficking, you know, in the industry for, you know, for prostitution. And then I've met with gals, young gals in particular that started dating and maybe she was 16 and 17 and finally got to a point where she could date, woohoo, you know, and they decided to become sexually active. And then all of a sudden he was like, well, you got to meet my friends. And she's like, what? And she meets with his friends and she's expected to provide, you know, sexual activity and the man, her boyfriend gets paid for it. And that is trafficking. And so the more I researched and kind of walked the streets, literally, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea it happens here. And although my first book is based on um, kidnapping, you know, the industries, uh, the industry experts, which, you know, I am one technically, but the industry experts would tell you the majority of human trafficking cases don't happen through kidnapping. They mostly happen through what we call, um, you know, interpersonal relationships. So, you know, um, people who are swaying them to be their girlfriend and then they end up being their pimp or blah, 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 or they owe them money, but it does still happen. And the reason I say that is because we have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of endangered children who have been kidnapped, but never accounted for. Right. So we can't say that kidnapping is not a source for human trafficking because we've not found these kids. We don't know where they're at. We don't even know, you know, if they're alive. So really the, my own, determination to study up on it um, led to my determination to get the word out, you know, that it is not a United, uh, is not a problem that's just in Cambodia or South America, even though it is high in those areas and India as well. It's also right here in the United States. And we have a responsibility to learn about that, you know, and to help educate people and to do something about this. It's it's an atrocious situation for our children. And it's, it's our job to to help spread the word on that. And, you know, it's so easy for those of us, you know, possibly that grew up in stable families, grew up in the church, that type of thing to look and say, well, if I were in this position, I would do X, Y, and Z, but really, you know, without knowing someone's background, and if you've grown up with elements of privilege in your background, such as a stable home life, which, you know, is out of out of your control what kind of home life Which, born, thank god you did. i'm so grateful if you grew up in a stable home life we are you know yeah. none of us ever wanted to be there right yeah, if absolutely. you don't have that then you don't necessarily know what somebody or if you grew up in that you don't necessarily know what somebody that didn't have that what their reactions might be if they're put into certain situations so yeah that's wow that's that's really sobering um well tell me a little bit about uh, the book itself about innocent lives, um, just a little bit about the characters and the plot and um, what you want people to know about that book. I would love to. Sure. And book two is coming out in November. So I'm really excited about that. But this is this is Innocent Lives book one. And it follows the journey of Sienna and Jasmine, their best friends. And they go on a family camping trip every single year. Their families go together. Um, and this particular year, their curiosity gets the better of them. They're allowed to walk to the general store by themselves for the first time. 
and they decide to go home the long way, which is really up a logging trail um, up to the top of the mountain to look down on the river. Um, and on the way down, they are kidnapped from their situation. So I intentionally wanted to highlight two types of trafficking. And so I did that in this book. Sienna goes into a situation where she's kind of rescued by a guy named Mike, which is who's incredibly handsome and, and funny. Um, and he's saving her from the big bad guy who actually kidnapped her. And so she becomes even drawn to him during the time period that he is also trafficking her. Um, and she's, she's the most stubborn one. She's the one I relate to the most in the book and has more of my um, type personality, but slowly, you know, he, he eventually starts tying her up in the barn, doing things to her, you know, and eventually she moves into the house as kind of his missus, you know, he's lost his missus. He, he talks to her about that and they start to feel close. Um, and then we have Jasmine and Jasmine ends up in a completely different situation. And she's, she's two years younger and she ends up in a, a farmhouse brothel where the girls are living there and are stuck there and, you know, are, are put into um, not only, not only slavery and sex slavery, but labor slavery as well. They take care of the farm and chores and not paid for that. You know, they're, they're stuck there. They're um, regularly kind of beaten and told, you know, you obey us or else. Um, and then eventually they move them into kind of a sex slavery situation where they're actually you know, seeing clients. And then eventually uh, Jasmine is taken to a strip club with the girls where she is forced to perform um, with that. So in both of these situations for Jasmine and Sienna, they are rescued. And, you know, I've had I've had review after review say, oh, my gosh, you know, my heart was for these girls and I cry and I bawled, I bawled my face off. And, and, and oh, and this, you know, I meant to read it for two hours tonight and I ended up reading it all night and I never got any sleep. Um, but part of that is because I've given them the hope that these two characters are rescued, you know, and pulled out of their slavery, which does happen. Now, there are a couple side characters which don't, you know, make it through, but the main characters do. And so I wanted to really show those two sides. And of course, Sienna at the end kind of realizes, I won't tell you that I won't give it away, no spoilers here, but she kind of realizes that Mike, you know, isn't handsome and all of that, that he is indeed a trafficker and that he is indeed a monster. And she has to make a decision to, you know, rest to escape and to not just save her own life, but uh, somebody else's, but they both them. They both do get out. And so at the end of the book, they really return to their childhood, you know, as far as their healing um, and they work hard on their healing. I have to tell you, Jasmine still has some problems at the end of book one, even though she's released, she's addicted uh, to drugs that her people gave her. Um, and so she experiences some of those issues with addiction and moving into book two, she um, is on the up and up and straight path, but does tend to go back to those addictions whereas Sienna, Sienna has completely gone the opposite track and actually opened a, a freedom center is what she calls it to help, you know, victims of trafficking and survivors and, um, but still struggles in her own life. And then they both end up being stalked. And I bring up into other characters that are running from an abusive home, they end up helping. Um, and so Sienna and Jasmine's journey will continue on through the books. And originally I was thinking three books and now I'm thinking it has to go four because I'm like leaving way too much of a, space guideline um in between those the subtitle of the book is guardians of grace and grace is actually a character and people do not realize that until they get to the point in the books where grace is born but in the very end of the series grace is going to do something huge 
um, to impact the trafficking trafficking world. So, you know, the book is more about hope. And for some reason, you know, for some people, it's not the easiest to read. It is not super graphic. I've had many people say it's written tastefully. That's the word, you know, that they've used. Um, but the point is, is they get through their situation, you know, and it's not their fault. It happened to them, but it's their choice to heal. And they choose to heal. They choose to get through. They choose to help others um, in their situation. And as a result, they're going to end up saving thousands and thousands of lives, you know, and that's what each one of our stories can do, no matter what it is, no matter what's happening to you, it can save thousands and thousands of lives if you choose to heal, you know, and if you choose to move forward and advocate for other people who have been in your situation. So in truth, it's intended to be a great story of hope of what can come from the trials that happen to us. Well, it sounds wonderful. And I, um, in full disclosure, like you mentioned a little bit, I will just say ever since is it really the tipping point for me was having children that ever since I had my first daughter, I don't know if it's hormonal or what, but I have struggled mightily with anything that is super intense. I would say fiction wise, but reading, watching, I can't tell you how many movies we've had to turn off because I just, I, I believe fiction is so powerful, you know, with the stories that it tells. And even though there's a part of our mind that knows it's not real, the power of story and fiction can really transform. And there is something so um, just moving about it that I think it can sometimes hit us harder than even nonfiction can. And so I have been one of those, I, I guess at this point, I would call myself sort of a sensitive reader, which surprises me because before that point, I could read really anything and, and be fine. Um, but so for those of us that really do struggle with the very heavy topics that maybe we keep our entertainment like on the very light side, but we still care very much about these issues. We still want to help. We still want to you know do our part, but we maybe can't read or watch the, the fiction about it. What, what are one or two ways you recommend for the average person that cares very much, that wants to help, but doesn't really know where to start on that? So I totally get it. I'll give you an example. <laughs> uh, we gave a copy of my book to our landlord. We have an amazing landlord um, and we've been here a long time and they love us and we love them and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I was curious. I was like, you know, what'd you think? You know, and this was kind of early on when it was first published and she's like, she got tears in her eyes and she's like, oh my gosh, she goes, I loved it. It was such an amazing book. And, and she said, but, but it was such an amazing book. And she didn't say anything else. So she turned and went into the house and I looked at my husband and I'm like, what? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, she does have four girls. And I was like, oh, wait, well, she has, I'm sorry. She has three girls and one boy, but she does have girls. He said, and I'm like, uh, okay, I, I get it. You know, my, I, I have kids too. I have three kids and one stepdaughter as well. And now I have a grandbaby. It was less than a year, so I completely get it. Um, and so I would say move cautiously. I mean, you don't want to obviously trigger yourself, especially if you had abuse in your background or any kind of that stuff in the background. I do have a good friend who wants to read it, but she admitted to me, she goes, when I was young, I was, I was kidnapped at one point. And she said, my dad rescued me. So she goes, I don't know if I can read your book. And I said, and that's okay. You don't have to read my book. That's all right. You know, and, and I totally get that. So I never want my story is to take anybody either backwards in their healing, right? Or pause their healing or make them so traumatized because they have children that, you know, that they, that they back into a corner and pretend it's not out there. But 
I do feel as a parent that you absolutely have to be educated because, you know, there is a market out there for trafficking and there is a market out there for domestic abuse. And if we don't learn about it and we don't teach our children the same, then they are much more prone to get into that or to become a victim of either or, you know, as they grow up. And so emotionally, I get it. I have a heart, too. And I, I have to be honest, as I as I read my books now and as I write my books, I cry. Sometimes I do. I cry. But it's with the overall of, oh, my gosh, I feel for these characters. Um, but number one, you know, I know they're fictional. and I'm the author and I can do whatever I want with them. <laughs> but number two, it's for the grand purpose of educating people and helping them to understand, you know, that it does exist. So, you know, the goal is and I think it would be with any author, you know, not to trigger you more or to make people upset or to think, oh, my gosh, I could never let my kids out of my sight. You know, that's not the case. Um, but the goal is to learn about it and be cautious and to know that, A, it's out there. Right. Um, but B, there are some very specific things that they can do, you know, as far as the safety of their children and being safety and especially paying attention to those red flags. And another thing they need to do to teach their kids is to be very, very wary of relationships that could be abusive. So. We see things in early dating relationships like extreme jealousy, extreme anger. Those are problem signs. And we've got to teach our kids to be very aware and they're finally ready to start. You know, right now, I don't know, your kids are probably young, but, you know, they'll get to a dating age um, and you will you will hope that in your home you model the healthy relationship and that they can pick that up. But if they don't, you know, you've got to have those tools to say, hey, you know, this is a problem that this guy wants to know where you are every single moment of the day. Or this is an issue that, you know, he insists that you don't spend time with your friends and just with him. Or, you know what, he doesn't want to meet us. Hmm, there might be a reason for that. You know, let's let's take a look at that. Um, and you pick those things up at parents and what, as parents and when our kids absorb themselves, you know, into this other person because they are receiving their value from this dating relationship, right? Instead of from God, um, it can be a value that's abusive um, and that's wrong and they can land in these situations. So I would encourage you and anybody else, you know, not to trigger yourself, but to, you know, become educated enough so that as a parent, you're being responsible, you know, in teaching your children what to watch out for and what to be careful of um, as they grow. Yeah, there were once upon a time, there was, you know, I grew up with never talk to strangers, right? But in my mind, strangers were big, scary monsters, right? They'd be on the corner of the street and they were huge and scary. And it was like, oh, you're a stranger. I am not. Oh, uh, you said hi, but I'm not going to talk to you. Well, I learned that wasn't the case. And when I was, I think I was six or seven, this was an early incident. Because my timeline has gone back quite a bit as I, I have developed my timeline for my healing process. But um, my cousins and my brother and I were playing at a church of all places and a man drove up in a car and he was naked from the waist down um, and touching himself and said, get in the car. You know, I have candy for you and blah, 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 blah. And, and I actually stepped forward and I was like, he just needs candy. Oh, he needed instructions or directions or something. And my brother yanked me back. My cousins yanked me back you know, and said, we're, you know, we're going home now. And we ran back to my grandma's house and we told, you know, our parents, and um, I don't believe any, this was in the seventies, you know, nothing was, was done at that point, but your kids need to be very, very aware that strangers are not just big, scary people. They may work at church. 
They may be charming. They may wear business suits. They may, unfortunately and sadly, be our pastors, you know, and our leaders and our counselors and our people that are supposed to be good leaders. So it doesn't matter who it is, those behaviors and those red flags that the Holy Spirit gives us. He gives those to us for a reason, you know, those need to be watched out for. And it starts with our education, because if we don't talk about it at home and if we don't learn ourselves, then, you know, who are they going to learn it from? They're going to learn it from sources that are inaccurate, you know, and maybe too scary. Um, It is the safest and best environment to learn it from your parent. Oh my goodness, that is all so good. Such good advice. And I think, you know, the, the point that stands out most to me is that idea of getting your value from God. Because even as I look back, like on dating relationships that weren't abusive, but that I wish had, you know, I wish I had been different at some point. When I look back at the core of what I would change, it was that I put too much emphasis on the person and not enough emphasis and what they thought of me and not enough emphasis on God and what he has said, what truth he has said about me and that value and that identity coming from him, it, it grounds you and it gives you a, um, a trustworthy confidence, I guess, you know, and not just like a false boosting myself, positive thinking kind of way, but the truth of who we are in Jesus, um, that, that translates into other relationships then. Yes, everything we need comes from him. And it really shocked me when um, I was dating my second husband and I had a lot of trauma and I had a lot of abuse. And so one day I just asked him, I said, I don't understand why you were even drawn to me. I said, I, you know, I was that traumatized. I was like, I've had that much go on and all these abusive relationships and all these things. And he told me something very key. And he said, honey, he said, abuse is part of your story, he said, but it is not your identity. And I was like, huh? (laughs) At first I was like, what? You know, and I even got in a big argument on social media because I love to post, you know, discussion things that people talk about. And I said, you know, my husband says this, what do you think? And I had people posting and literally saying, this happened to you. It's part of your identity. You can't get away from it. It's just how it is. But what I've learned since is my identity is really two things. And number one, it's about my future, not my past. And number two, it's how God sees me not how anybody else sees me. So no matter what has happened to us, whether it's childhood and relationships as we grew up, you know, whatever the case may be, if we set our true identity in Christ and how he feels about us and how he sees us, then number one, we're not going to accept abuse in our lives. And number two, we're going to pay attention to those red flags when they come up because we know that we are daughters or sons of the Most High King and that we are worth more and we are valued more. So that's what I tell the gals I work with now, you know, as I do domestic violence coaching and I do recovery groups as well, is that I want you someday to be able to say, yes, abuse is part of my story, but it is not my center. It is not my identity and it is not how God sees me. And that is a vital difference and balance in that definition of that. So good. Yeah, shifting gears a little bit. Tell me about your writer's group. Oh, I love my writers group. <laughs> so, you know, we started, I live in Oregon and we started a small writers group on the coast in Oregon. And it was, you know, at a facility, it was at a church, but then COVID came. Woo! Love COVID, right? And so we took it online. And then what I found when we took it online is that we had people joining us from all over. So I've got people from Pennsylvania and New York and Minnesota. And, you know, I'm on the West Coast. We have Washingtonians and Oregonians and I think one from California. 
Um, and COVID's kind of done and I've got local people over there going, well, how are we starting again? And I'm like, I can't, you know, I've got these people that need this writers group. And, and so we need to rename it. Originally it was North Coast Christian Writers, but I'm going to have to figure out another name, but we do meet on the fourth, uh, Sunday of each month at 4 PM Pacific time. And we meet online and it is an amazing time. We have technically 26 members, but I have about 12 to 15 that come to group, um, and we have um, a lot of speakers. So this last month we had an excellent speaker on um, the 12 step survival guide to writing your hard story for nonfiction writers. And we've had, we've got um, Dr. Craig Busick coming up who has a book coming out. He's with focus on the family. We have speakers, we have a uh, reading time where we can read some of our original work and get comments back and forth on it. We have a very deep prayer and share time. So we put a lot aside, a lot of time to take prayer requests and then to really pray by name for each person and their requests and keep those in our heart. Um, And we have teaching. So I taught two classes um, last month at Southwest Writers Conference in Washington. It was a secular thing, but I taught on building your platform with your best website because I do websites on the side as well. And then I taught one on getting your book into the Amazon top 10, both well attended. And my group was like, well, we want to know these things. And so I've been (laughs) taking some of the teaching slots and adding um, that in. But it's an amazing group, really, really um, encouraging. We're always open to new people. We have people that write fiction, nonfiction. We have people that write children's books, people that write just memoirs. And we have two or three people that aren't writing it. And that's okay. And that's okay. They feel called and they want to get there, but they don't quite have the strength yet. And they needed kind of a group of support, you know, around them. And we love them too. So we're happy to have them on board. And, you know, every time uh, we set it, we set a writing goal for the next month. So for each person and one of the things I knew I needed that, (laughs) that's why we really started it. But each time that person sets their goal, it's like, you know, maybe not to write quite yet, but you know what? I've got an outline in my head, or I've got this, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this by next month, and we can pray and encourage them to do that. So it is a Christian writers group, but we don't all write for the Christian market. Market, as you can probably guess, my books on human trafficking were not um, desired yet in this in the Christian market. I hope that I pray that someday they will get there, but they're not there yet. And so they're published for the secular market, but they also have a, a pretty deep about me section in the back that really, you know, lets them know that I'm a child of the most high king, you know, and, and God loves me and he salvaged me. And he's the reason I have healed from, you know, what I have been through. Um, and so we work with both writers who write for the Christian market, but also for, you know, the secular market. And then we do critiques on the side. So people need a critique. We have people that, you know, they'll send them to me and I'll send it out to people in their genre to do specific critique um, on their writing. But yeah, it's an encouraging group. And sometimes it comes around and it's like, oh no, it's here already and I haven't met my goals. (laughs) But I'm the leader, you know, and everybody feels that way at one point or another and we all get there, but that's okay because we all love each other and that's not what's truly important. So we get together and encourage each other and it's a good encouraging group. So yes, people can email me if they're interested in more information on that. Very good. We'll put your contact information in the show notes and um, links to, to your website and all the things that you had sent me as well. And, um, but yeah, anything else specifically that you want to go in the show notes, you can send me to you. That sounds great. Yeah. And I have a, a free gift too for your, oh, nice. um, 
Yeah, for your people that might be interested, you can just go to um, innocentjourneys.com mm-hmm. and there is two two free ebooks for me that are free, no charge, uh, just to download and, and heads up. Human trafficking and domestic violence are both in those books if you need that heads up, but um, they're just to give you an idea of, you know, what my writing's like and what I like to write about and what I feel called, you know, to write about and have gotten many good reviews and a couple of those were in the top number one spots in Amazon and their categories for quite a while. So feel free to do that, innocentjourneys.com. And there's no charge for those books. Pass it on to your friends. That's free. You know, it's free for everybody um, just to get help get the word out. So gift for you guys. Thank you so much. So just a couple yeah. more questions before we go. One, um, how does your faith, and you've, taught, you've touched on this a little bit, but how does your faith inform your writing and vice versa? Yeah, I, that's a good question, actually, because I did write uh, many years ago for the secular market, and I, I really felt convicted. <laughs> a God really said to me, you know, and I write for the secular market now, right? But there's a difference because God really convicted me. And he said, Julie, he said, number one, I gave you this gift. I gave you these words. I gave you these experiences. You know, do not let books go out there that do not, you know, influence people towards me. That is your responsibility as a writer. And so I'm like, okay, because at the time I was writing a lot of magazine articles and I still do that to a certain extent. But again, people are always referred to my website where they find out that, oh, yeah, she's a, you know, she's um, a believer. So that was a huge a huge lesson for me and not all writers feel called to that and that's okay. Um, but I know for specifically God was like, you know, I've been so much a part of your healing that how can you not include me? And I'm like, how could I not include him? He has been the key, you know, to everything, um, in my life. So I don't judge those that, you know, that go the other way. That's okay. You know, and they still come to writers group too. But for me personally, that was something God convicted me on. That's very important to, if I'm going to write for the secular market, I still need to be very clear who I stand for and who's watching over me and who, you know, has an eye on me and whose daughter I am because I'm a daughter of the most high King. And I will never forget that now. Yeah, that is all just great. Is there anything else that you would like to include that I've not asked you about or anything else to say before we wrap up? No, just feel free to contact me. Um, I'd be amazed at the people that contact me and say, hey, I just want your advice on this or could you look at this or could you endorse this or could I join your group or whatever? You know, that's what I'm here for. So I'm just... I'm just Julie Bond Blank. It's B-O-N-N with two N's at gmail.com. And my website is juliebondblank.com. And you can find everything that you need there. And know that, you know, if you're in an abusive situation, that there is help out there. Uh, The organization I work my day job for is ARMS, Abuse Recovery Ministry Services. And that's also abuserecovery.org. There's a ton of resources. If it's safe to go to your computer, just go to that resources tab. There's a lot of articles on why we don't recommend couples counseling, um, you know, counselors and coaches that, you know, that will um, be good for you, um, our healing groups that we have available, and just start researching because you're going to learn, number one, you're not alone. And I hope that you're going to learn that you're worth more than that. And that God sees your value, you know, as, as more than that. So anybody that's stuck in abuse, or you think you can't get out, there is hope for you. I did it, you can do it too. And not only that, but we really can't truly live the abundant life that Jesus has planned for us until we decide to work on our healing, you know, and to make an impact. Um, But you can change that. You can change your life from now on. So contact me for any of those reasons. And I'm glad to have had the opportunity to chat with you today. 
That was Julie Bond Blank. We'll have links to her sites in the show notes where you can find out more about Julie and her work. Thanks for listening to the Miss McBookworm podcast. 